Amen. And if you'd remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, or I could say turn on your Bibles if you have your device, though I'd encourage you to get a real Bible, buy a real one, uh, though digital is works. Um, I trust that you will not be checking the game or playing Angry Birds or something. Um, Colossians chapter 4. We are going to be making our way through all of three verses this morning as we near the end of this book. Colossians 4 verse 7 says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Gracious and heavenly Father, we are gathered this morning because you are gracious. You, through your son Jesus, have brought us and bought us from the kingdom of darkness and purchased us to the kingdom of light, that we would belong to you as sons and daughters. And we pray that as your son and daughters, what is on your hearts and what you are about would be on our hearts and what we would be about. That we would love and be compelled by the things that you are compelled by. That through our lives, you would receive honor and glory and that your mission would be accomplished. Jesus, I pray that even as our Bibles are opened, you would open up our hearts to hear what truths you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. And I just want to say aloha to all of you. It really is a privilege and honor to be with you all. We are humbled to be worshiping Jesus with you, and uh, if you don't know Jesus, we're really glad that you're here. Also, just want to shout out a special welcome to uh, those who are um, triathletes. Ironman, I actually met a few of you between service, and we're really thankful to have you here. And in addition to the triathletes, want to welcome the university students as well. We're glad that you're here, and I uh, just want to say this, if you're able to come to the uh, 8.30 service, that would be awesome to keep some seats available for this service. And so uh, next Sunday, well, we're glad to have you here, um, but if you're able to carve out some time in your schedule, wake up a little bit early, uh, get your breakfast on a little bit early, and come to the 8.30 service, that would be amazing. So I'm going to call to some of you uh, just so we can keep seats available uh, for this service as well. But that being said, we're really glad to have everyone here. We are in the book of Colossians, and as we are nearing the end of this book of Colossians here, it may seem like these verses that we're, we're pausing on uh, may be a bit unusual to you. Like, really? Verses 7 through 9, this is what we're talking about this morning? Let me remind you that as Christians, as children of God, we believe that all Scripture is the divine word of God. That from Genesis to Revelation, 
It is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And that the way God primarily chooses to speak to us and to reveal Himself to us is through the Word of God. If you want to know God, if you want to understand more about yourself, if you want to grow in knowledge of Him and hear Him speak, the primary way God communicates and makes Himself available to us is and are the Scriptures, these truths that we read about here. And so while these verses may seem less captivating and necessary to our lives, we may be tempted to just kind of, I don't know about you, but in my devotional times when I'm going and reading and making my way through the scriptures, I'll read through some of these truths kind of quickly, right? You ever do that? Is it just me? Come on, it's not just me, is it? Who's leaving me, hanging me out to dry here. You get to the end of a book and you're like, oh, there's a bunch of names. I'm not sure what these good for are good for, except that if you're pregnant, we have a lot of babies that are coming to this church. You need some names. Got some names right here. And maybe that's it, right? We don't think any further application or relevance to our life when it comes to these verses. And we treat it like the end of a roll of tape. You know what I mean? Like the end of a roll of tape, like what is that good for? It's still tape, but it's neither useful nor sticky. So what can you do with it? And a lot of times we kind of go past these verses because they seem unuseful or there's no truths that really are relevant or that will stick to our lives. But if all Scripture is God-breathed, is His revelation to us, then Colossians 4, 7 through 9 is just as inspired as any other verse you could point to in Scripture, including John 3, 16. So, so God is, has something for us here. And my heart is that as we look at these verses, that, that we would unpack a principle that is seen really throughout the whole Bible that is also woven into these verses here. And that is the theme of God's desire to multiply. God's desire to multiply. Specifically, here in Colossians, Christ and multiplication. We know Christ is in everything. It's the, the theme of the sermon series. We know that Christ, and we've really unpacked what Christ looks like in all these different areas of our lives, and now Christ in multiplication. Now, you might be thinking, okay, the burden of proof is on you. Where is there evidence that there is the multiplying work of God in these verses? And, well, first, I would just want to draw your attention, in our text, there are, there are names of people mentioned here. Um, Tychicus is one of them. You'll see uh, later in verse 9, Onesimus is another name. Um, earlier in chapter 1, we were introduced to Epaphras. And later, we will study next week, we're going to look at Arist uh, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, um, all of these men, all of these people had one thing in common. They were once outsiders. They were once dead in their trespasses and sins. They were born sinners and they willfully joined in the rebellion of Adam and Eve to think that they knew what was best for their life and they joined in the rebellion. They were bound for hell. They had no hope within themselves to be saved. 
All of these men were unworthy to be called children of God, citizens of the kingdom of light. Yet God is merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He sent Jesus to die in the place for sinners. And when I mean for sinners, I don't just mean abstract sinners. He died for sinful man. He died for Epaphras. He died for Tychicus, he died for Onesimus, and he died for you, and he died for me. Like the, the, the atonement of Jesus is not just some abstract work of God, it is the act of God saving a people to himself. And what he does is when he does that, he makes us alive in Jesus. Though we were dead, God breathed his life into us. We even read this earlier in this sermon series of Colossians 2.14, and we are told, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. God made you alive in Christ. So he saves. He breathes his life into us. And when God saves, he simultaneously saves and he builds his kingdom. In fact, there is no building of the kingdom of God if people are not being saved and if people are not hearing the good news of the gospel. Because when God awakens souls, and makes them alive in him, he multiplies. I mean, just even think of the author of this book. Think of the, uh, Paul. Do you think Saul, who was once trying to divide the church, do you think he ever thought before he was saved that God would use him to not only not persecute the church, but actually to multiply and grow the church? Do you think... Onesimus and Tychicus would have ever envisioned that their names would be forever etched in the eternal word of God. Like how epic is that? And it's not like they're failures because they're in the word of God and they were stupid. That's why they're in here. No, they're, they're, they're these godly men that God chose to put into the scriptures as Paul wrote this and his hand is moving, being compelled by the, the Holy Spirit. Tychicus, Onesimus, Epaphras, and these other people are evidences that Jesus was building his church then as he promised. Because they were outsiders who were brought in. And likewise, Jesus is still continuously building his church today. Because when God saves, the result is multiplication. When sinners repent and meet their Savior, Jesus, the family expands. And that's what happened. In fact, it's Acts 2.47. And he added daily those to the church who were being saved. So when you have daily being saved, you have weekly droves of people coming to know Christ. And then uh, you have months that passed and then years that passed. And before you know it, you have exponential growth where the gospel is spreading out so virally that it's turning cities and nations upside down. And the work, it's all done through the work of believers like Paul, Epaphras, and Tychicus who are filled with the Holy Spirit to multiply the purposes of God and that's what we've been created for, you guys. We've been created to multiply God's purpose in creation. And, and just so you know, this idea, though, lest we think we're super special, this idea is not exclusive or new to the church. So we're going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail here, and I'm just warning you, it's, it's a little bit of a detour, and we're, we're going to come back here, but I think we need to step back from the text for a moment and look at the broader picture of redemption that God is doing among a people.
And we're going to look at the theology for a moment of multiplication because that really begins. The theology of multiplication does not begin with the church. You can actually go to the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and you can see in Genesis, humanity is made by God in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And when we say image, often I refer to the, the theological term imago Dei. So if you hear imago Dei, sometimes I just spout that out without explaining it. Imago Dei meaning the image of God. And that is we were created by God in his image. We see evident in Adam and Eve to be his representatives and to cultivate God's work in creation. So God's work is sovereignly accomplished through the hands of of his people, through Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis 1.28, he doesn't stop there. He says to Adam and Eve, after blessing them, which is pretty amazing, God blessed them, and they were blessed because they were naked and not ashamed. That's a blessing. And they walk with God in the cool of the day, right? And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. There it is, Multiply such a multiplication that would take place that they would fill the earth and subdue it. So already you have in this general mandate to humanity from God a specific promise and a call to multiply. And then that, that promise goes from abstraction to specificity with Abraham. Where with God, and, and who was once Abram, to, would then become Abraham in Genesis twenty two seventeen, God says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And, and if you look at the sand that is on the seashore, even at Magic Sands, so it's a small strip of beach, or Kua Bay, there's, there's still a lot of sand. Like, I dare you to count, right? And we're just talking about one little stretch of sand uh, on the Big Island. And... God is promising, Abram, I'm going to multiply you so much, you're not going to be able to count. That's the point. Count the stars in the sky. Count the sands on the seashore. You can't. And then, after that promise, God, in case we missed it, wanted to show the expanse of his promise to multiply. In Hosea 2.14, he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And what began with one people, a nation, Israel, would multiply far beyond the borders of Israel. And that through Jesus, God will honor his promise to Abraham that he would not be just the father of one nation, but that Abraham would be the father of multiple, many nations that would multiply. And God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, desires his people to multiply. So now we, the church, the people of God, have been commissioned by Jesus in Matthew 28 to what? Go into all the world and to make disciples. If you don't have a vision for your life, if you don't know what your call is for your life, if you're unsure about your purpose for your life, you exist to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples. Let me just make that clear. Go into all the world and make disciples. Go. Like go after it. Chase after it. Now you might be thinking, well, what then compels humanity to multiply? The Imago Dei. 
You were made in the image of God who commissioned us from the beginning to multiply. And we've been called by this God to image him and who he is by multiplying. And you know what's crazy? Even non-believers can't help this. If you're not a believer in here this morning, you, you've helped God unknowingly enter into his providence to multiply and to increase the earth and subdue it. Families, believers or not believers, they multiply by having children and adoption, right? Friendships multiply by creating such a loving community. Outsiders look into that friendship and said, I, I want some of that. And so they enter into this, this community of friendship and friendships begin to flourish and begin to multiply. Businesses multiply revenue, and rightfully so. It's not wrong for that to happen. They generate more jobs. They feed more people. They serve the needs of clients, and they help the community. Colleges start campuses to uh, multiply knowledge and to multiply more students. Tutus and grandpas, right? Or maybe your parents, if you're single here this morning, right? You ever hear from your parents? You got a girl yet? Huh? You dating a boy? Is he a Christian boy? Is he good? And there's this pressure from them to be like, you better be dating you. You better, like, and then, and then just after you get married, it could be a couple of months or it could be a couple of years, they're saying, oh, where are the kids yet? Like, why aren't you multiplying? Why aren't you having kids yet? And you're like, come on, Tutu, just slow down a little bit. Slow down like we just got married. Why? Even non-believers, why? Because God, the story of God has been written in the heart of every person is a story of multiplication. It's inevitable. In fact, um, when people so live entrenched in their stained Imago Dei, that, that, so the image of God has been fractured, right, because of the fall, that we're still made in his image, we distort the image of God, and that distortion to an extreme uh, of keeping people from multiplying is evident in war, is evident in, in China telling families, they're not anymore, they're actually changing the policy, ironically, to you can only have one child. But if you look at it, even the natural person, if their conscience has not been so seared, seared his desire to multiply, because God has written on the story of every human heart a desire to grow, to flourish, and to multiply whatever area it is in life. And so when Paul says now, having this theology of multiplication, Tychicus will tell you, verse 7, about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Paul, when he says all this activity, he isn't talking about Friday night playing pool with the bros, right? Now, it's not wrong if you like pool, and if you're really good at pool, like, I'll challenge you, let's go. I mean, I'm not that good, but I, I like to have fun with it. It's not wrong to do that. But what activity is Paul speaking of here? He is speaking of gospel proclamation, church stewardship, Church growth type of activity. That's what he's saying here. The multiplication of the church, that is what he's speaking of. And the evidence of that, again, is Epaphras, Tychicus, and Onesimus. They are evidences of God's multiplying purposes. And now God is doing a work in their lives, and they are continuing, not just through Paul, but through themselves, to a people. And then those people are to continue and to carry the work of God's grace and multiplying to all peoples, to every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And so verse 8, he's telling them why he's sending them. This is why I'm, telling, this is why I'm sending these people. They've been multiplied. They've been added to the church. They're expanding the cause of the gospel. They've been working with Paul. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. I wonder how they are. 
Like what are stories they have, by the way, that did not make it in the book of Colossians that you can get allusions to a little bit in the book of Acts. We know even the works of Jesus had all of them been recorded would be too numerous. There would not be enough pages in history to fill of all that Christ has done in his multiplying work. I wonder what works happened. I'm sure they were incredible that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, when the Bible uses that word heart and encouraging the heart, it does not mean like what you just kind of like. You know, we say heart today. We're speaking of like our desires. But the heart then is actually speaking of the whole person. The, the being, the existence of that person is their heart. And Paul is saying, I want you to hear our gospel multiplying grace from Jesus that we're going to carry this news to you that your whole being would be encouraged and compelled to multiply more and more, that we would run and not grow weary, walk and not faint, that we would pursue, that we would press on, that we would keep going, and if we would wait upon the Lord even if we're not seeing a fruitful work, and we would trust Him with the work because God's intention for our multiplication is that every disciple would be making disciples that every leader would be multiplying more leaders and that every church would eventually, because of its growth and its sending, would be able to multiply more and give birth to more and more churches. This is the Great Commission. Charles Spurgeon, who wrote an article, if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he's a 19th century preacher in London, just called the Prince of Preachers, one of the best preachers of all time. And uh, he, in an article that he wrote in a magazine in 1865, titled The Sword and the Trowel, which I'd recommend if you want something to read Sunday after church, after your Sunday nap, and like pound some lunch down. Great read. And uh, Charles Spurgeon says this. The Christian church was designed from the first to be aggressive. Not, it was not intended to remain stationary at any period but to advance onward until its boundaries became commensurate with those of the world. That, that's how big and how vast God's plan of redemption is to multiply. And, and hear me right now. God is inviting you to cooperate in his mission to multiply a people for himself. And if you're a little bit miserable or down in your faith, is it because you have bought into the narrative of you living for your own life and you living selfishly and you not living to multiply? When you don't live for the purpose of the glory of God and multiplying your faith, sharing your faith, raising your kids and your faith, showing the love of Christ to other people, of course you're going to be miserable. You're pressing up against the very purpose to which you were created. You were made in his image to share. You were made in his image to cultivate and multiply and proclaim the gospel. And God is calling us to be a people who multiply his redemptive work by proclaiming the gospel. Shorebreak is not a fraternity or a social country club. I don't want this church to be that way. And even if you're just visiting, I'm really glad you're here. It's kind of awkward, but I'm glad you're here. We're not a social club. Have we fallen asleep at the wheel of multiplying and living for the mission of God? And 
I'm not going to come down. And if you feel convicted, good. Good. But I'm not going to condemn you because it is the very gospel we must proclaim is also the very gospel that frees us to want to share. When we herald, when we build our lives on the cornerstone who is Christ, when we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the overflow, the evidence will be we have to share with others. And so some of you, that's going to be getting on a plane, going on a mission trip. Others of you, that's going to be well, staying in the same job, in the same place, in the same neighborhood for 40 years and faithfully loving your neighbors and your coworkers. For others of you, it is going to be uh, going out for street evangelism. For others of you, that's kind of not your thing. You're going to build some relationships, and you're going to build on those relationships, and you're going to let them know you're Christians, and then you're going to let them ask questions. You're going to work your way into their life, and they're going to see your marriage, or they're going to see your parents, or they're going to see your friendships if you're single, and just how you handle your life, and they're going to be like, what do you have? Whatever that looks like. We've been called to participate with God in his mission to multiply. You're here because someone was faithful to that mission. You're here because of that. We're here because Paul, Tychicus, Onesimus are faithful to the Great Commission. And so Tychicus is going to go to Colossae and tell them again of all this Activity. I wonder what it was. We're left to our imaginations. What would others say about your activity? Does our activity as a people bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus? Are we living for the narrative again that we have written for ourselves or are we participating in God's grand narrative of salvation? May we be committed to his work to multiply. Now, Paul is a pretty great guy. He's, you're awesome, but he's better than you. No offense, but he, just, he is. And, uh, and Paul was not able to do all that he could do unless he had help. Because Paul was unable to do every, as great as a man as he was if he did not have help if you didn't have others like Tychicus and Onesimus in his life. So I just want to take some liberty uh, to honor these men and just to talk about them for a minute because their names are mentioned here. So uh, we read of Onesimus, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Onesimus was actually a runaway slave. Runaway slave who came to faith in Jesus as a direct result of Paul's ministry. So he hears the gospel Paul proclaims the gospel, and he's like, I want your Jesus. And Paul's like, okay, so repent. He repents, and he's walking with Paul in his ministry, and Paul discovers and he hears that, that, it, that part of his testimony is that he's a runaway slave, and so Paul writes a letter to his owner, Philemon. Um, hey, I, I'm going to send him to you. I hope you receive him well, but, but actually, in the end, I'm going to need him for the purposes of, uh, he's very helpful to me. He's very helpful to me, and I could use him for spreading the gospel. And so I'll pick up his tab, and that's actually what the book of Philemon is all about, interestingly enough. So Onesimus, a former renegade coward, is now, according to Paul in these verses, a faithful and beloved brother who is going to Colossae with Tychicus to share everything that has taken place. 
Now, Tychicus, his name, we actually don't know a ton about him either. Uh, we know a little bit more about Onesimus, but Tychicus' name is actually Asian. It derives its roots from Asia, probably Asia Minor. And uh, we read about it in Acts, I believe it's Acts 20, that Paul is on his third missionary journey, and Tychicus is there with him on this journey. Uh, he has filled in, historically it is believed, that Tychicus has filled in for Titus and for Timothy. Uh, he's filled in for their pulpits when they would be gone doing different mission work or uh, traveling or serving and coming alongside Paul. He encouraged the churches with the gospel. And what I love about Tychicus is he did not bail out on Paul when things got bad. We've all had those friends, you know, when life goes downhill really quick and you think they're your friends until things go bad and they bail on you. You're like, where were you? Well, you, were so, you were there when everything was going really well and now all of a sudden like, things are going horribly and you just bailed out on the friendship? That's not Tychicus. Paul is in prison and Tychicus is there serving him, loving him, encouraging him. And he's going to carry this letter of, of this book to be read to the church at Colossae and then beyond. And Paul says about Tychicus. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord. Whether it was Tychicus or Onesimus, notice how Paul describes them. And notice how he doesn't describe them. Does he talk about their amazing gifts? Does he say, you know, those guys, man, they can orate so well. You know, they're, they're just so popular. They're, they're super talented. Now, I'm not saying gifts or talent or popularity are necessarily in and of themselves wrong. But Paul does not highlight those things about these men. Paul highlights their Christ-likeness. He highlights their character above and beyond anything else. He says, Onesimus is a faithful brother, is faithful and beloved brother. And the way he is serving is self-evident that he himself is actually a deacon. Tychicus was a beloved brother, a minister, and a servant. So he would have been a pastor, elder. If all Jesus wanted was talent to advance his mission and to build his church, he would not have chosen the 12 that he did. He wouldn't have chosen them. You know who he would have chosen? Pharisees, prominent leaders, and the philosophers of that day. But God will multiply his purposes through the least likely people. That's what he does. He does it in surprising ways that are unique, that are against what we would think as humans naturally would, because his ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And he operates differently. Whether it's God making a promise to a 100-year-old man. Hey, Abraham, Sarah, I know you're like 100 years old, but you're going to be the father of many nations. Okay, how is that going to happen? That promise is continued through the least likely of people, Jacob. Jacob is a con artist. I do not like Jacob. Going to church, I would hear, Jacob was chosen and Esau was not. Because that's what the Bible says. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. That's what God says. Don't like that, take it up with him. Okay? That's what the Bible says. And I don't like Jacob. I like Esau. He was like the man. And then you have Jacob, but he uses the least likely, the second born, even through all of these things. 
Fast forward, God does not choose um, all these great prominent people. He picks a brash, loud business owner of a fisherman called Peter and says, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Like if you guys, of all the people, he chose the men that he did. He chose Saul who would persecute the church and then eventually be saved to build the church. Tychicus or Onesimus or even you and me. What type of people did Paul use and look for? And what type of people ultimately is God, does God desire to use for his multiplying purposes? Isaiah 66, 2. But this is the one for whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. God is not looking for the best and the brightest. God is looking for men and women who are marked by humility, who have a servant's heart, and who tremble and fear his word. And they would rather tremble and obey the word of God because they fear him than live for the fear of man to please others. This is the person God is looking for to use. And Paul has entrusted leadership to people who embody Christ-likeness. So Christ multiplies his work through servants who are humble, who tremble at the word of God. Do we tremble at the word of God? Here's the thing about leadership, responsibility, delegation. God cares more about what he is doing in you than he is doing through you. Now, God cares about what he's doing through you, no doubt. But God wants to do a work in us, not just so many Christians today, I've been guilty of this too, look at what I've done, look at my accomplishments, look at how much I've done, and God says, yeah, man, looks at the outward appearance, I see your heart. Maybe we can put up a good facade and we can play the role of a hypocrite by putting on the mask and doing a really good job of showing this image of what we are not, but God sees our heart. And when God looks at us, does he see humility? Does he see the heart of a servant? Are we actually trembling at his word and do we desire his word? All right, verse 8. I've sent him to you, your fellow, sent him for, to this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. So Onesimus is from Colossae. He will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Like we said, Paul is arguably the greatest man to ever live next to John the Baptist. And Paul was convinced he could not go it alone. So we need to think with the mindset, biblically, of God is God who multiplies. We need to understand that God multiplies his purposes through those who are like Christ, who bear Christ-like characteristics. And God is going to multiply, not through one person, but he delegates. Paul delegates. He shares 
responsibility. It's better, even if one person could do all the work, it's better that ten people do the work to accomplish something than one person to take it upon themselves to get all of that done. Yes, maybe that's how the world works, and maybe we look at that, and maybe it works at times, but that is not how the church is to operate. Paul delegated, Paul shared, because the Great Commission will not be fulfilled with solo Christians. Even when Jesus was with his disciples on earth, he sent them out two by two. You always see Paul and the missionaries traveling almost always, with the exception of a couple, almost 100% of the time going together, going with a team. Because the Great Commission will not be filled by solo Christians. The church will not grow on the back of one person. And the needs of others will not be satisfied through a couple of people. And I know this is hard for some of you to take. You may not have to share. You may not have to delegate, especially if you're in some sort of leadership responsibility. Yes, you do. We have to. And this is hard because often, not always, but the, these values that we have as Christians, like humility, service, uh, fearing the word of the Lord, and sharing and delegating go against our cultural values. In fact, they are so opposing the values of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light celebrate the opposite things. What we celebrate as the people of God, our cultural, the cultural values mourn, and what we mourn as the people of God and uh, in, in our, in our kingdom values, uh, culture celebrates. So just practically, independence and autonomy is viewed as a strength culturally. The more you can do it, the more self-serving and the more autonomous you are, that's greatness. That's why we celebrate heroes. It's individualism. But in the community of God, the kingdom values of God's people, strength is in community. Culturally, people relish being selfish. In God's kingdom, we relish sharing and giving away. Culture enjoys being served. You know you've arrived culturally when others serve you. In the kingdom of God, we are blessed and we are able to serve. Culturally, the world believes success is flourishing. In the kingdom of God, we believe fruitfulness is flourishing. Which doesn't always look like success as the world defines it, right? The way to the top... In, the, in our culture, is at the expense of others. In the kingdom of God, the way to the top is when we bow ourselves and esteem ourselves less at the expense of other people. The church of Jesus Christ is no place to foster cultural values. May we be a people who value what Paul and what God values. Because the greatest people in the kingdom of God are servants of all. And the greatest leaders are ones who recognize they need help. And may we not be so proud to think we can do it on our own. I got this. You're going to burn out. You're going to wash out. You're going to make more mistakes. And you're going to hurt people along the way. If we are going to see Christ bring multiplication in our lives. We need the involvement and the gifts and the Christ-likeness in their lives. We need people who are humble, faithful servants. In fact, this is why one of our values as a church is we value multiplication. We value three things. 
We value the gospel, we value community, and we value multiplication. And we believe, and I'm reminding myself this, we have to remind our team of this, and I'm reminding you of this. We believe success and ministry is not defined by what we get to keep and hold white knuckle, but success and ministry is defined by what we get to share and give away and do life with more people. After all, God delegates. If you've heard nothing else, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He is fully sufficient within himself to satisfy and glory in himself. He doesn't need us. But he chooses to use us. And so Jesus says, it's better that I go to be with the Father and I send you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is with you, you will be my witnesses. God delegated his plan of redemption that we would get to participate. He just sent an angel. Jesus could have stayed on earth. I mean, he's, got, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But he delegated this responsibility to you and to me. So this is what we've been entrusted with. And hear me on this. The gospel, if you struggle with this, the gospel delivers us from self-reliance. The death and the resurrection of Jesus save us from our own pride where we think we have to be the hero. In the kingdom of God, there's only one hero and his name is Jesus. It's not you and it's not me. We get to point people to him. We get to tell people about him. We get to call people to his name. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus saves. And the gospel which we should proclaim is also the very gospel which helps us when we are afraid. And again, conviction is good. I'm totally okay with that because I am convicted. To think I'm all these things, I'd be blind to you. I'm not. I desperately need his grace in my life. I've seen the mistakes that I've made as a leader and, and I have the luxury of making them in front of all of you. So praise God for that, right? You've seen them. Some of you, it's amazing that you're still sitting here on a Sunday morning because you've walked with all of my stupidity and Leo's and Dan's and others. But you know what? Praise God for those men. Praise God for the men and the women who serve and love this church so well because we are the church that we are today as a result of people who are humble, people who are faithful, beloved servants who tremble at the word of God. And may that be said and may that be true of all of us. Amen? Let's pray, guys. Father God, we thank you for your truth, for your word that you desire to multiply and that you could have just left it with Israel, but you did not. You expounded your purpose of salvation to all of us. Thank you that you've included us in. Thank you that we get to be called your sons and daughters. And may your good gospel and may your Holy Spirit compel and motivate us to be obedient to the Great Commission. May our activity be set apart. May our activity be gospel motivated. May our activity be gospel centered. And whatever you've entrusted us, Whatever you place in front of us, God, may it be said that we are faithful. May it be said that we are a lovely and loving people. And may it be said that we would be humble. Lord, thank you for Jesus, who is the ultimate servant, who is the ultimate Savior, and who is the one who does the work of multiplying. 
In his name we pray. Amen.